You're listening to a Market Moves property podcast from EG, in partnership with Capital Rise. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. We're talking about prime residential investment and development, particularly in central London. Throughout the challenges of the pandemic and Brexit, what levels of resilience has the market shown? And how are changing homeowner demands being reflected in development and lending activity? My guests for this conversation were Uma Raja, Chief Executive and Founder of Capital Rise, Vanessa Hale, Head of Insights and Residential Research at BMP Paribas Real Estate, and George Brooksbank, Managing Director at Leckenfield Property Group and Chief Executive of Fairway Capital. I asked Uma to detail Capital Rise's experiences during the pandemic and what had been revealed to her about the state of the prime residential market. Starting off with um, kind of how we look at prime. So we are a prime real estate lender. Um, we provide development finance to property developers doing projects in, I guess, three main locations in the southeast. So we'll look at prime central London. Um, so Knightsbridge, Belga- Belgravia, Mayfair, Chelsea, those sorts of locations. We look at prime outer London. So that's where we'll pick up loans in Richmond, Wimbledon, Hampstead, those sorts of locations. And then the home counties. So particularly kind of very affluent commuter towns. So Wentworth, Windsor, Ascot, those sorts of places. Um and I guess what we found, I mean, historically, the reason why we focus on Prime is because we think it is the most attractive area of the real estate market to to lend to. It's um, just because, you know, the quality of the real estate, the level of kind of continual demand, uh, the the appeal both domestically and internationally for assets in these sorts of locations, and the fact that it's incredibly resilient. Um, and I'd love, you know, for Vanessa to tell us a bit about kind of, you know, her view of the market and what the data shows. But, you know, historically, it is it is, you know, the most resilient part of the UK property market compared to the London market overall, compared to the UK market overall. You know, after each downturn that has been recorded, it sort of bounces back incredibly fast and faster than the other parts of the market, which I think makes it quite unique um, as a part of the market for us to kind of focus on as a lender. And the pandemic has just proved its resilience. You know, again, um, just to give you an example, I mean, we um, prior to the pandemic, just to show you kind of the demand for finance that we've seen um, increase over the time. Um, before the pandemic, 2019, we saw about three and a half billion pounds worth of loan applications that we received in that year. And in 2020, um, we had 5.6 billion, just to give you an example. Um, and it's been, I mean, I'm happy to go into, maybe later we can talk about what are the trends and why we're seeing that. Um, you know, what's been going on? Why is it so dynamic in our in our part of the market? Um, but yeah, I think COVID has created quite a lot of, um, you know, uh, desire for people to move, to want to change where they're living. You know, we've all been locked in our houses for unprecedented amounts of time. <laughs> uh, and that's forcing people to reflect. And are they happy with that? I mean, do they want more space? Do they want to be in the same location, but they want an extra room for a, a home gym or a home office? Um, we've had people you know, wanting to have a pied de ten in in the centre of town because they're thinking, well, I'll, I'll move out. I'm happy to commute in a couple of days a week. I'm not going to be in the office five days a week anymore. So I want somewhere close to the office that's walking distance. Um, you know, we've had repurposing as well. So, you know, assets that maybe um you know, retail or commercial hotel assets, um, you know, people thinking, you know what, I, I maybe I can try and, you know, convert this into a residential asset. Um, so there's just a lot of, you know, dynamism um, in the market that we've, we've, we've obviously been trying to kind of serve as a lender. George, um, from your side, Fairway launched a, a Prime London Fund in 2019, some big names on board. Uh, tell, 
tell me the story behind that and and how uh, how the pandemic has affected business for you. Yeah, so we we actually launched that fund in 2019. Um, we actually tried to launch it earlier that year, but it was very difficult raising money that year. With whilst there was uncertainty over Brexit, but more more importantly, uh, your political risk, um, the risk of a you know Labour-led government um, was was a greater threat than than Brexit. And we we really saw Brexit as as creating an opportunity. I think you know when you look back to 2014 when. Osborne put stamp up to 12% and then the 3% surcharge that followed a year later. That was really what slowed our market. Um, and then, you know, Brexit created further uncertainty. But what we saw was good quality stock carried on selling. So where the agents talk about the market falling off 20% from the peak, we never really saw that at the top end of the market. And when I say top end, I'm kind of saying 5 mil plus uncompromised, you know, on a garden square, you know, an Eaton Square, Cadogan Square, best-in-class products. So, uh, then, so really, there was a, a kind of two-tiered market whereby anything slightly compromised um, wasn't selling, but the good stuff carried on selling. Obviously, transaction levels did fall off a cliff. You know, they, they probably fell off by you know, at least 50%, I would say. So when, uh, when Boris won the election in December 2019, we then suddenly saw huge appetite for for high-end real estate, and particularly into our fund. That's really when we raised a large chunk of our cash. It was January, February last year. But typically, the, the deals then became hard to come by. In 2019, there was, we, we probably could have spent twice as much as we did in 2020, because there was way more opportunities. So COVID came along in March, and, and it sounds awful to say, but it actually kind of threw us a, 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 another lifeline, another opportunity, because I think whilst there was you know, huge uncertainty over that in March, April, May last year, we bought 11 properties during that time. And I think what happened and why those stats last year looked so good, you know, 348 sales above 5 million, you know, the highest level since 2016, um, was because those you know, needs-based buyers wanting to move, you know, English people that wanted to be have outside space or wanted to be on a garden square. But relevant to our market, 5 mil plus, I think we're kind of dealing with you know, people that run businesses, CEOs, hedge fund managers, and those guys actually wanted to be more central. So, you know, they wanted the ability to walk to their office in Mayfair or Knightsbridge. So as a result, they were wanting to be on, on Garden Squares. So, and the other, the other flip was that because of that uncertainty, people selling were panic, you know, that people were panicking. So suddenly there was a bit of stock. So I think those numbers were unusually good last year and surprised everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that was with, without a lot of international buyers. I think there was... You know, over 5 million, 60% of those buyers were from the UK, whereas traditionally it's been down at 40%. And when you go 10 mil plus, it's usually 80% are international. Um, and I think there was only about 6% uh, international um, last year. So, um, yeah, that, that, you know, so COVID really kind of created a, a, what we saw as, as, a, as a, almost a once-in-a-generation opportunity, really, for, for that initial three or four months. I mean, obviously, when, when everyone flooded, flooded back to the market, it's been a lot. Uh, trickier buying since it's been a lot more competitive you know dealing with end users uh, looking for opportunities and, and I think a lot of other developers have you know have come back into the market now that there's a, a bit more debt flowing around and this Uma touched on you know she's had five and a half billion of, uh, of applicants and that's incredible um, shows that there's obviously high demand. And Vanessa from your seat you're, you're looking out right across the market how do you see the kind of themes that that Uma and George have touched on playing out in a, a broader market context? 
not dissimilar. I think uh, I would agree with both of, of what George Numa have said. Um, you know, we had the the escape to the country at the beginning of the pandemic, and that was that was very much you know driven by people having this realization, or you know may have been in the the pipeline to be thinking about moving, and all of a sudden that decision was accelerated, um, which. I mean, uh, the country market is, and I, I say that very loosely as to the country market, um, you know, towns, urban, you know, villages, et cetera, um, not going totally off grid, um, that the aspiration or the realization that they could make that move um, really just happened overnight. And I think genuinely surprised from an estate agency perspective, surprised many um, that the, the quantum of demand and then I think what that did lead to was all of a sudden a, a revaluation of, of looking at places like PCL and going, is there an opportunity here that, um, you know, everybody seems to be going out. Should we be going and looking in inwards and seeing if there's opportunities to, to make a deal? And I think, um, you know, George's comment of, of pricing best in class without question, you know, the, the deal, that deal factor or discount hasn't been there and it, it, it never has. But there were some other transactions where actually maybe not exactly best in class and you may have may have gotten a little bit of a bargain um, in context. I, but I think that window was very short. Um, and now I think you're hearing it from everybody. There, there's competition. There's there's now sealed bids. You know, the activity levels have just almost reversed. So that window kind of came and went very quickly. Uma, what makes Prime, in your opinion, such such an attractive investment case for buyers like like high net worth individuals? You you've talked about the resilience of this market, but maybe we can dig into some of the factors that you see driving that. So I think the reason why we love it is, you know, if you're looking at say Eaton Square, Grosvenor Square, there is perennial demand for these sorts of locations. They're sort of iconic locations, uh, and whether it's kind of UK based or international. Um, purchases. You know, London is a very special place, and I think you look at it the kind of on a global scale. There are lots of reasons why people will choose to invest. You know, in London, I think probably Vanessa can give some kind of really good colour around that. Uh, and that means the way we look at it is, you know, there's, there will always be somebody that will want to buy that asset. It'll just be about price. Um, so as long as we're doing kind of very prudent lending, um, you know, very conservative levels, you know, worst case scenario for borrowers and able to repay the loan, you know, I, 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 I've never had to do it, but, you know, I could step in and I could force the sale of the asset. I'm very confident that I would recover the funds that I need to do because of, you know, just the quality of the real estate and the fact that there is, you know, such high demand for the kind of high quality assets. Yeah, I, I think... Just to what Uma was saying about pricing, and I think that's key. And I think what, what, what we've seen this uh, this year is, is pricing, you know, vendors' expectations have gone up because they've read all this positive press. So they're suddenly just holding out for the pricing. But we then, on the other side, we've, we've also got some people struggling, you know, you know uh, business owners in, in retail or hospitality who are uh, under a bit of pressure and need to sell. So you have got a few people that aren't necessarily for sellers, and we've got we're at a much lower leverage market now since layman's. You know, I think, you know, high and residue people aren't really borrowing more than. 50, 60% on, on mortgages. Um, so people are under less pressure to sell. But I think you know, those uh, that uh, own businesses in retail hospitality kind of uh, are looking to sell or need to sell. And as a result, it is creating a little bit more supply. And, and as Uma said, there, there's always been demand. And I think you know, that's what we saw in, in 2014 as a developer. We, you know, we were worried. We thought we were quite exposed with a lot of speculative projects on our books. And we thought we'd have to turn to more private work for a few years. And, and we saw our good stuff just carried on selling and carried on achieving a premium. And I think if you look at all those those new build schemes around Mayfair, 
they've been getting phenomenal prices, way in excess of what they were forecasting back in you know, 2012 to 2014. So it shows that you know the, the good stuff will always achieve a premium. There's always a little bit of demand for those that want to be in London. And I think you know, right now, you know, London is looking a lot more attractive than many other cities. I think they, they got on top of COVID well in, in the end, and the, uh, and the vaccine rollout seems to be a success. We've now got a, a very stable uh, uh, government, um, hopefully for a, for a minimum of, of three to four years, whereas whereas others haven't. Um, and I know the standard has gone up, but you know, 17%, it, it, our, our holding costs are very low. So when you compare us to other cities, you know, Singapore are paying 18% stamp duty, Hong Kong, 23%, you know, New York have an annual property tax of nearly 3%. So our, our actual, even if factor in buying costs, holding costs and, and disposal costs, are actually much cheaper and, and more competitive than than other global cities, which which makes London very attractive. And I was just going to jump in there and say that you know I think beyond the beyond all those factors as well, you you know the British culture in itself and the attractiveness of the education system, all of those elements. And interesting, both Uma and George had mentioned you know a lot of the C-suite um, looking for perhaps those pied de terres and wanting that walking into the office. I think the one interesting trend that we're we're starting to see is is that perhaps that slight leak out of prime central London into other neighborhoods uh, across London because we actually are an extraordinarily walkable city um and i think people's appeal uh, um in in seeking that you know 15 minute city dynamic um you can actually achieve in quite a few uh, villages around london which i think um is something that is new ish uh, especially for more probably the international buyer um, that they're they're exploring other parts of London. It's it's not just a straight right. We're going to Mayfair or Knightsbridge. Another point is just kind of where Prime Central London is in its property cycle. So you know PCL has been in decline since what the end of 2014, and as prices are now what, around 20% below the peak. Then so you know it is a fantastic time. You know, if you're able to, if you're a developer to come and buy a site and develop it out, you know, the, you're going to be able to come up with a fantastic business plan, very profitable, um, you know, with plenty of contingency in there. It's a great time to buy. Um, and I think that's the same for investors as well, you know, in just terms of just where we are in the cycle. It, it's a very appealing point in time to, to invest. We've touched on on repurposing assets. George, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the kind of opportunities that you might see in alternative use schemes, given some of the planning reforms that are underway? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we look at probably 25 to 30 deals a month. Um, and I'd say out of that 30, probably we offer on five or six that are, that are, are decent and fit our, our requirements. Um, and if we're lucky, we get one accepted, maybe one every couple of months now. I mean, obviously, uh, uh, last year, there was that small window, probably two or three months where it was fantastic and everything we offered on seemed to get accepted. And we did quite a good bolt deal with, with the Grover Estate. Um, so now it's now it's it's kind of back to, you know, it almost feels like a seller's market rather than a buyer's market. So it isn't as easy as just, you know, calling up an agent or, or looking at a few things and, and getting lucky with one. So we had to be a bit more creative. So uh, particularly on Eaton Square, um, you know, lateral flats, you know, at, at the moment, that, that market's gone a little quiet, whereas they've been the most popular thing popular uh, part of our market for the last you know two decades really so we can still see an opportunity for those especially when you've got access to a garden square with you know private square with, with tennis courts etc and you've got to be a bit more creative so you know the, the permanent leases you get contractor leases you get shorter leases and to actually merge the two together is very difficult now with, with planning 
and Grosvenor. But there still are, are ways of doing that and, and doing deals with, with you know, Grosvenor State or even with Westminster where you, know, you can create another unit elsewhere um, or doing lease swaps, etc. So it, it's, it really has played into our hands a little bit because I think, you know, as a developer, you're always going to be a little bit more sophisticated and have better knowledge than, you know, someone coming to a one-off development or, or, or an end user that won't really know or understand how to get around some of those issues. We, um, we've we got a couple of loans that we've done in the last six months, which are office to resi conversions. Mm. So, um, you know, office blocks that have been converted into luxury apartments. Um, very, very central. So perfect for the kind of pied-à-terre market. Um, we've seen an increase in, in those sorts of applications for finance, really. Um, hotels is another one. Hotel conversions into luxury apartments. Um, so I, I think that's that's been quite interesting. We haven't seen this or volume historically, and I think we're going to see a lot more of it moving forward. Also, it's a great story as well from you know for, from the developer's perspective of and the lenders on the fact that you know of the sustainability aspects of it, or reusing, repurposing, and that you know the kind of eco consciousness has really kind of I think arisen from the pandemic. You know, there's the wellness side of it, but there's also this kind of in, environmental and climate side that people are looking at and going. Hmm, that's an interesting opportunity. And might, you know, they, they might have some really great credentials that I'd be, um, you know, wanting to live in, which I think is, you know, an, an added plus side of, of what we've gone through. On that offices to resi topic, I think very interesting to see recently the City of London Corporation talking about wanting to introduce more housing to, to the square mile. Is there appetite to look further afield, do you think? I mean, when we talk about PCL, I think we automatically think of some of the parts of town that Uma's already touched on, Belgravia, Knightsbridge, Mayfair. Is the opportunity further afield, perhaps in places that we we wouldn't have been thinking about? You know, I don't mean to single out the City of London there with that office to resi scheme, but will that open up perhaps a desire to look at um, to look at fresh locations? I think the longer term, yes. Short, short and medium term, no. I think the reality is as though, you know, where we operate, which we call Belgrave and Knightsbridge and Mayfair and small pockets of Chelsea, there's very low supply. So the, the fundamentals of supply and demand are always, there's always going to be an imbalance, no matter what, what's going on in the, in the wider uh, market. Whereas if you go to say you know, the, the streets of Chelsea, there's, there's lots of nice little streets and little houses, which are very similar to others. So as soon as there's choice and more supply, you know, buyers you know, get confused and, and you know, ha- have, have choice, so they don't feel the need to pay a premium to secure something. Whereas, you know, and same with Notting Hill, you know, there's some lovely houses up there, but some big houses, but there's there's lots of them. If you wanted to buy one, you could go and choose from one of five. Whereas, there's just next to zero uh, turnkey stock in in particular Belgravia, you know, Eaton Square, um, you know, Wilton Crescent, um, and then you know, Knightsbridge, I'd say Cadogan Square, Lennox Gardens, Cadogan Place. They hardly ever come up, you know, and and, and again, I. I you know, re-emphasise the uncompromised aspects of flats being you know, lateral and now you probably need to take the box of having outside space so you really want to be a top floor on the terrace or, or first floor with, with some sort of rear terrace and obviously access to the uh, the gardens. Yeah I mean we ha- have seen quite a lot of demand in the kind of home counties market not just for kind of big family homes etc but also kind of for a luxury apartment schemes and we've got a couple of live loans in those kind of um, locations and, you know, that have redeemed very, very well, have sold, have got loads of pre-sales. Um, and I think there are, you know, there is definitely some pockets with the location is right and the asset quality is right where there is is demand for that kind of, um, you know, that kind of product. 
And I think there's actually going to be a need as well. I mean, the the reality of, you know, we, we may be changing how we're going to be working. So we have we, we may have a, a surplus of, of office stock in some locations, although I take Uma's point, you know, they have to still be in then places where people want to live um, that are attractive. And, and to, to, to George's point of, you know, fundamentally actually still having outside space or, and being able to have the the actual physical extra space um within the within the whether it's flats or or if you can convert it into some sort of um maisonettes etc that they actually can still deliver on the expectations of what the consumers want um and beyond the the office aspect as well you know the retail side is you know we're going to have some challenges on that front and the reuse of those as well um so again it gives opportunity. I, so I think the city of London's move to to Tim, your point, I think we will see that happen in, again, pockets pretty much, I think, across the UK. But it sounds like in the near term, the most promising areas in terms of opportunity will be the the usual suspects. To look at the outlook, we're, we're sort of we're halfway through coming up to halfway through through the year. What are your hopes and your fears for what the rest of the year might bring. Let's talk about not just the opportunity, but some of the challenges, perhaps that um, that you think the market the market will face. In many ways, we've been through the worst of it. So I think um, if I look at you know we we were funding many many development sites throughout the pandemic. Um, you know when the pandemic first hit, it was obviously a very stressful time. Um, you know it was very difficult for developers to kind of figure out what they're supposed to be doing they had to adopt social distancing they had issues with supply chain it was a very very kind of stressful adjustment Um, but they managed to you know figure it all out all our sites stayed open uh, and all of those projects have have completed very successfully Um, so I feel like the you know the industry has learned to adapt um, within the constraints of this you know of, of the pandemic which obviously nobody could have ever prepared for something, even conceived that there's something like this might happen. Um, so I feel that we're kind of, uh, and as a lender, you know, we have also adapted as well. So, you know, we've, we, we luckily we built in significant contingencies into all those loans in the first place, which has enabled us to kind of have those buffers in place. Um, and I think we will continue to do that moving forward. So I think, you know, developers will be a lot more conservative in terms of the time it th- they think it's going to take to deliver a project. They're going to be a little bit more conservative in terms of the budget and the, it's going to cost to to do that that piece of work. And I think as a lender, we'll obviously continue to put good buffers into our into our loan to protect everyone. Um, but I feel that, you know, we've lived through the worst of it and now we're, we've got a very sound foundation, to, I think, to continue um, and there's, there's, like I say, you know, there's a huge amount of um, appetite for development, which, you know, we're there to fund and uh, and there's luckily lots of developers keen to do it. So I think it's going to be a very positive, positive um, time for our sector, particularly, as I mentioned before, because of where we are in the cycle as well. You know, I think we even without the pandemic, we'd be looking at, I think, hopefully that that kind of uptick starting. As a lender, what was the biggest lesson for you over the past year, do you think? I think the, the biggest lesson for me, and I think it was the blessing really, was that um, you know, we've always looked at taking a, a very prudent approach to lending. And that, I think, is often is driven a lot by the fact that we, you know, we launched this business in a, in a falling market. You know, when many other lenders have, been, have stopped lending to Prime Central London, have been very nervous about it, we were actively serving the market. And I think that made us incredibly conservative in terms of our approach. And that has been an absolute godsend and has helped us kind of weather the storm um, and that will continue to sort of take that approach. But I think that was the biggest learning for me, how important that was. George, your perspective on on the months ahead? 
Yeah, so I think there's kind of three three things there really. First of all, we, we're going to see you know the travel corridors opened up and international people uh, return to London. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, you know an increase in demand. Um, you know, meanwhile, the supply levels remain very low. So you, know, you feel like that has to kind of push pricing. At some stage, the government are going to have to stop all these help packages. We thought that was going to happen end of last year, and now it just keeps getting extended. At some stage, that will come to an end. So that will have to have a, an impact as well. I'm not necessarily talking about the the, the, the lower uh, the guys lower down the chain, but more you know, the business owners who effectively have their businesses propped up for the last uh, 12 months. So it'll be interesting to see what impact that has and whether there are a few forced sellers out there at some point. And, and thirdly, I guess the, the, the thing that we're seeing and impacting us most is, is really from the construction side, is, is supply chains um, and, uh, and you know, the impact of, of COVID. You know, if, we, if someone gets tested positive for COVID on, on site, we have to close the whole site down for five days, have it cleaned, get everyone tested, uh, self-isolate before they can return. So it does have an impact on timescales. And, and I think you know, Brexit as well, uh, you know, uh, by default, uh, you know, European suppliers are putting putting prices up, and, and lead times seem to be huge. You know, and I think uh, uh, for certain materials, you know, electrical appliances, for example, um, they're not even having any uh, kitchen appliances available for six months. You've got to you've got to order them six months in advance. So you're then having to order stuff well in advance, uh, and if only stop uh, materials and things at the workshop to make sure we're ahead of the game. So I think. You know, the, the smaller developers will struggle with that, um, and and you know, from a from a, a banking lending perspective, um, I think banks will you know see see loans having to be extended as a result. And Vanessa, is there a is there a house view on the the outlook for the market from you? There is, there is, of course, there is. Um, I think the the interesting thing, if you if I had one of my fellow uh, estate agent colleagues in front of you right now, they'd be saying. Uh, this is going to go and continue for the rest of the year and we're, we're going to hit 10% house price growth, if not more. Um, I think uh, the more tempered, uh, cautious research side of me is looking at it and going, we've had a positive experience so far for 21. Mm. Um, I'm naturally an optimistic person. I'd like to say that I hope that continues. But I think, um, you know, we haven't removed every single element of COVID. And I think from that global economic uncertainty aspect, there's, mm. you know, there there are some challenges that we could still face. Um, I think that the uh, furlough schemes ending and the levels of unemployment that we may see um, coming out of the, the back end of this of this year could be of challenge. Um, and, and just I think generally, you know, the behavioral changes that we will have experienced and, and what I think we're going to see as far as how people will be working going forward. Um, I think those those are all going to impact that buyer behavior. And I think we may have had a knee-jerk reaction or, you know, I don't think it's quite set in stone that this is how we're going to live and work forever. So I think that's a, a real area for us to be continuing to monitor. Um, and I think, you know, George just mentioned on, you know, supply chains, we, you know, we're, we're not out of the woods yet of, of all the Brexit negotiations. We still have more trade deals to sort out and the attractiveness of sterling. And I think if you look at kind of some of the stuff that's happening in the US with inflation, there's some there's some bigger global things that could have an impact. But overall, we're still looking at, at least for 21, you know, the, the best case scenario of kind of 5% house price growth, which I think, you know, where if you were to have ha- asked me that question a year ago, I would not have been saying mm. that. So, you know, overall, it is still a positive sentiment. A positive outlook to end on, but tempered with a note of caution. Thank you to our guests, 
Uma Raja, Vanessa Hale, and George Brooksbank. And thank you for listening to this Market Moves podcast. You can keep up with all of EG's podcasts on your favourite platform and head to egi.co.uk forward slash news for all of the latest real estate news, features and data.